You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. I'm taking some risks with this film. I was never really in it for the money. I was in it because I like to make movies. It is not the pencil you use, but what you say that's important. That will never change. Quick show note before we start the show. As you probably noticed, we haven't had a new show in a while, believe it or not. We've actually recorded a couple of new shows, but I've been dealing with some work-related health issues, so I had to kind of put the show on pause for a little bit. I have been editing it every now and then, but it is has been a little slower than usual. And in general, as you probably noticed, we've kind of gone to a two-week, you know, every two-week format and sometimes even longer And this one has been a pretty long pause. I am trying to get back on some sort of regular schedule. It will definitely not be a weekly schedule, but you will be seeing some new content every now and then. Something's happened that happened to me a couple years ago. I think it was back in 2015 where I had to take a break, again, for medical reasons. But hopefully, somehow, we will get back on track. So let's get the show started. everybody and welcome once again to Geekfest Rant. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to be talking about coffee table size books, specifically Star Wars and I'm going to throw in a couple of little bonuses here or there. But the meat and potatoes here is going to be Star Wars. There have been a number of books put out through the years that I've collected, just like the other dozens and dozens of Star Wars books that I've collected, but these are very specific because these are extremely large books, to the extent where I've waited and waited and waited and kind of bypassed, because they're so large, and focused on other books in order to read. And I finally decided this is it, the collection is getting way too big, and there are certain books that have never been touched yet. Uh, so I sat down and started thumbing through all of them, all of these gigantic books. And the fact that they are so, number one, they're kind of expensive in terms of compared to regular books. And number two, they're books that are just not getting my attention. And just by thumbing through them the other day, these seem to be excellent books with a huge amount of information and photography that you kind of forget it exists. Uh, So I'm going to try to start hitting these books pretty soon. And I'm going to give you a list of at least the ones that I own. I mean, there's probably more. And these are books that they are just big. (laughs) They're very big. They're not the type of book you can take to bed and read because if that book were to fall on you, you would be in trouble. So let's get started with our coffee table size Star Wars books. You must burn the books, Montag. The books have nothing to say. When I was your age, television was called books. You, Mr. Bemis, are a reader. A, A reader? A reader. A reader of books, magazines, periodicals, newspapers. All right, I want to talk about books, specifically what would be considered the coffee table size books. These are books that are pretty large <laughs> compared to other books. And the majority of the ones we're going to talk about today are Star Wars related, but I do have a couple of stragglers along the way. One of the reasons I want to talk about these books, and I'm not necessarily going to be reviewing the books right now, I'm just going to be telling you about what's available out there and how these books 
are kind of unusual in terms of the way or in the manner that I'm able to read them. You know, most of the books that I read, and I read quite a bit of books, I bounce from novels, you know, fiction to nonfiction, making of books and autobiographies and all kinds of stuff that just goes back and forth and back and forth. You know, I don't want to do too much of the same back to back. And I will normally be dealing with about two books at a time. And like I said before, I try to make these two books different. For example, I might have a Stephen King book and a making of Star Wars or a or a Bosch book and a making of Star Trek. You know, you, you name it. Uh, you know, I, I have a uh, some kind of combination going on all the time. I remember at one point I tried to go for three books at the same time and that got a little out of hand. <laughs> Especially since two of those books were crime novels and I was starting to get those plots mixed <laughs> together while trying to keep, you know, an eye on that third book. But two seems to be the magic number for me. And I, and I can I could read books just about anywhere. My long-term method of book reading has always been in bed. Reading in bed as I'm before falling asleep, spending maybe a half hour or sometimes more. Sometimes I can't fall asleep and I might be up for like an hour or two, believe it or not, reading a book. But Anywhere where I have an opportunity to be unoccupied doing something, I sometimes even keep a book in the car in case I have to go somewhere and I have to wait, you know, in the car. You know, you go to a doctor appointment, you go to some kind of meeting or something where you have to wait. Yeah, I always bring a book with me because you never know when you're going to be for a long time sitting there doing nothing. And I'd rather not just go at my phone for such a long time and just completely exhaust it. But anyway, a lot of these books that I walk around with sometimes, I mean, obviously, I would rather have paperbacks, especially for, for nonfiction. I always enjoyed the paperback size, what used to be the paperback size. And, and we might have talked about this in the past. I'm not entirely sure. But I am pretty certain that when I was young, back in the 80s or 90s, let's say, most of the books I had were either paperbacks or hardcovers. It was either one or the other. I don't really remember other sizes. Maybe they were there. I just cannot seem to remember them. Or maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that because I had purchased so many Stephen King books at the time that they all came in the paperback size. I mean, obviously, first they released them hardcover and then and then there was a paperback. But somewhere along the last 10 years, maybe, maybe even a little longer than 10 years, maybe 20, maybe 15, 20 years, I noticed that they started coming out with these other sizes, <laughs> which I was like, you know, like, when did this happen? So what you have now is the hardcover comes out. Okay, fine. Paperback comes out. And then you have a large softcover version, which is sometimes referred to as a paperback because it is a soft cover. But it is not the paperback I'm thinking of. The paperback I'm thinking of is the one that you could literally fit it in your back pocket if it's a big, if it's a thick book, it might be a little uncomfortable, but in theory, you could stuff it in the back pocket of your pants. <laughs> and I don't know if that was the original intent of the word paperback, that you could put it in the back of your pocket. I don't, I'm probably making stuff up here, but all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden you started to see these, these, these middle size versions of books. And it's like, okay, I'm ready, you know, because the way that it would work is that in the past, you know, I wouldn't want to spend the money on a book, you know, on a $20, $30 book. I wanted that $5 paperback to come out. But now what you have is the, uh, the, the $20, $30 book followed by the $15, $16, $17, $20 paperback. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. But now it's another size we're talking about. I, I want the one that fits in your pocket. And then... Every now and then, I, I, I'm starting to see the one that it is the paperback size that I'm looking for, except it's a little taller. It's like, what the hell is this? You know, when you lined all these books up, all of a sudden you have these paperbacks that are a little taller. And eventually you do see, you know, the traditional paperback. Some people, I mean, I think I've seen them referred to as the airport paperbacks, the ones you buy at an airport when you get on a plane or something. And that is the intent. It is supposed to be the smallest version of a novel that's available, you know, but there are multiple sizes along the way. Well, 
I personally try to avoid all those middle sizes. I try to go for the cheapest version, especially, on, again, when we're dealing with novels. With a novel, the important thing is the text. We're not dealing with big pictures or little pictures or any sort of pictures. So the cheapest version should be just as good as a large hardcover. Unless you're having, you know, issues reading small text, you know, you want the, I know they have like the senior or the adult size book section where the print is a lot bigger, you know, but thank God I'm not up to that point yet. I can still kind of read okay with, with the help of my glasses, but I purposely wait for those smaller versions, even for Stephen King. Sometimes I can't help myself. Sometimes I kind of lose it and say, oh, I want to buy it anyway. And I end up buying some of these silly mid-sized ones. But I do try to stay away from the big ones, unless I'm buying them used somewhere. If I go to a used bookstore, I don't mind picking up, you know, for five bucks, a hardcover book that's a couple of years old because, hey, I, I don't mind the size. You know, it's a little annoying that, you know, because you, you end up, you know, in my case, I end up keeping those books. I don't get rid of books. Uh, usually I keep them. I like keeping books. Obviously I don't have the room to display them anymore. They all end up in a box somewhere. Uh, the majority of these, these novels that I, that I read, but I do have a very large amount of books that are kept in a bookcase. Uh, actually in my bedroom, this is where uh, most of my books are, but even in the office, I do have a couple of bookcases also with, you know, very large size books and that sort of thing. But my habit of book reading is also a little over the top in terms of kind of just like my toy collection, where I go a little nuts sometimes with toy buying. I also go a little nuts with book buying. I have more books than I know what to do with, I'm sure. And I haven't read a third, maybe half of the books that I own. And the problem that I've noticed lately is that I keep grabbing a book to read and I grab a book to read and, and even though I'm, I'm grabbing sometimes two books at a time and that sort of thing, you know, I, I go pretty fast through books, which is good. But one of the things I noticed is that I've been staying away from certain books because of their size, believe it or not. And I'm not talking about a traditional large size book in terms of a hardcover book or a, even to the extent that I could say like a textbook, like a school, high school, college size textbook kind of size, which is still, to me, kind of manageable. You can still kind of hold it on both your hands and turn the page and hold it. It's a little, you know, it might be a little heavy. What I'm talking about here is the books that are way, way bigger than that. And and I've, I've talked about a few on previous episodes, specifically when I'm dealing with the Rinsler making of books, all those making of Star Wars. We, I just did making of Alien, you know, making of Planet of the Apes. And with that, you're talking about, you know, like a 12 by 12 kind of book. And it's about maybe an inch or an inch and a half thick as far as how many pages you're dealing with. And yeah, those are probably the largest books that I really, really have read that I've reviewed for the show. I probably hit a couple of books that were a little uh, bigger. Sometimes the book might be bigger. It might be a, a larger size book, but it won't be as thick. It won't be as heavy. And the main problem here is this. Because I like these books to be as portable as possible, where I can take them just about anywhere and sit down and start reading, something that big, you just cannot take with you. So that is not going to be my travel book. That is not going to be the book that's going to live in my car or that I'm going to go take you know, we'd have to go to a uh, an oil change appointment and I have to wait, sit there and, you know, just wait for it to happen. For something like that, I will most likely bring the smallest book available, which is most likely a paperback. And I have tons of paperbacks. I've even bought tons of movie and TV adaptations, paperback size, you know, from the 80s and from the 90s and from the 70s. And I have a ton of them that I haven't even touched yet. And every now and then I'll grab one and go through one. And sometimes they do end up on the show, you know, if it's a specifically good movie that I'm dealing with. But no, if I have a larger book, that will most likely be the book I read at home whenever I'm in bed or doing something that takes a long time. I, I do admit I'm guilty of being the person that brings the book to the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe that's a little too much information, but yes, I, I do uh, enjoy uh, reading. 
Again, it's about wasting time. I, I, any, any activity that will require you to waste time, whether you're waiting for something to happen or something to be done in terms of a service, you know, it's like, well, I'm spending the time in a productive manner by reading. So, yeah, when it comes to a larger size book, a book that's a little big, you know, I'll leave that for, for my home book. And even when you're in bed trying to read, and, and I know this is a little inside baseball here, but there's a couple of problems that occur when you're dealing with a very large book. And again, I'm thinking right now of the, the making of Star Wars, the making of uh, Alien, that kind of size, the, the Rinsler books. Yes, I can hold that book kind of, you know, against my chest, prop it against my chest to kind of keep it up. But here's the problem. If I fall asleep reading that book, that book is going to come down. And that book is going to come down either away from me or towards me. And if it comes down towards me, it's going to be a little painful. You're talking about a somewhat of a heavy book coming down on your face. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you have to kind of, like I said, you have to be careful, uh, you know, with the size of the book. Now, granted, with the size of the book, it's also convenient because sometimes the print is a little bigger. And like I said, you know, in my age, uh, well, I'm not ready to, 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 to make that dive to the larger print books. There were times where it's kind of like, oh, my God, wait, hold on. You got to book, the, you got to hold the book a little further away or a little closer to kind of get it in focus. Even though I am wearing my glasses, uh, I, I do wear glasses for, for close uh, I don't wear glasses for far away things. I wear glasses for reading a computer, reading a book, reading my phone, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, if it's if it's within arm length or shorter, I need glasses. So what I've noticed over a number of years, as my book collection has grown, and I and again, it grows in a manner where I have all these books that I'm, oh my God, I gotta read another book. I'm gonna read another book. I'm gonna read another book. There's always I easily have, I don't know, maybe a hundred books. I mean, that sounds insane, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound insane? Let's say 50. 50 books. <laughs> I don't know if that's any saner, but I easily have 50 books that are to be read at any time that I have that just sitting in a shelf or on the floor somewhere in a corner piled up because, okay, next, that's going to be my next book. What I started to notice is that I keep skipping certain books, not because I don't like the books and not because... There are so many other books, which there are so many other books, but just because of the size of the book, I look at some of these books and I'm like, oh man, that's probably a good book, but I don't know if I can kind of hold that. I mean, it's, it's big, it's huge. And that's what we're going to talk about today is all of these books that I've been kind of ignoring. And some of them are quite expensive books that I have not really formally read yet. To prepare for this episode, I actually opened all of them and I thumbed through all of these books. Some of them I might have thumbed through them before and some of them I've never cracked them open ever. And I'm amazed at how good these books are going to be once I read them. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but it's going to take so much effort. I can't read these books in bed. Let's put it this way. These books are bigger than Rinsler books. These books are enormous. These books are made to be read on a table because you cannot hold this book up. And if this book were to fall on you, good Lord, you would probably break your nose in the process. It's funny because uh, for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but I was I was trying, you know, in the process of, of looking for different show topics. I don't know if I either watched one or I started thinking about it and I started, you know, the connection started to be made about the, the issue of coffee table book. And, and, you know, when I go to Barnes and Noble, I like to get, you know, the, the, the few bookstores that remain uh, these days where there's actual physical books that you could touch and see. I always end up gravitating to the bargain book section where they have sometimes very big books for very low prices that they're trying to get rid of. And as a matter of fact, there's at least one book here in the pile that I ended up getting it there. But let's go through some of these books that I have here to give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think my oldest one here might be my Stephen Sansweet Vault book, um, which I think I might have actually talked about this. This is part of a trend of bookmaking 
from a while back, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe, where you had these very, very big, thick books where inside the pages, not only was there text and pictures, but they would add like a little envelope stuck to the page with content inside the envelope, maybe a letter, a reproduction of a letter, maybe a reproduction of some stickers, reproduction of some posters. In this particular case, I think it even has a CD, an audio CD inside, but it, they used to pack these books and, and, and the, the, the code was vault. You, you would see the alien vault, the Battlestar Galactica vault, the Star Wars vault, you know, all these vault books, uh, which they put out which were pretty successful. I mean, I own a number of them. I mean, they weren't all necessarily the same company, but it was a style of packaging or delivering, you know, a book to you in, with, with, with a different style to it. Well, the Sansuite one, I cannot tell you for sure if it was the first Vault book, but it was great. It is great. It's still great. I actually still have, I believe, from that Vault book, a reproduction of the Howard Chaking Star Wars poster that was made by him back in, I think, 76, when they were starting to promote Star Wars, something like that. And I have it in my office. That vault book also has a reproduction, a photographic reproduction. Again, I talked about this before, of the Star Wars 10th anniversary convention that I went to in California and the birthday card that everybody signed for George Lucas. And... I was able to, with a magnifying glass, find my signature and my message that I wrote on that card. I just, you're, you're talking about a it's, like a, it's like a nine foot card. That's how high it is. And I don't know, four feet wide on both sides. And they reprinted it as large as possible there. And yeah, it's, it's in that vault book. And yeah, that was, I'm pretty certain that was a book that I ended up having to read. And I actually did read that one. That one, I, it's just an example of a, of a coffee table size book, a large size coffee table size book, but that I that I actually had the chance of reading. The second one from that era, I think, would be the Blueprints book. Again, this is a different time where Lucasfilm was publishing quite a lot of books. I can't really tell you if Disney is as nutty with books as Lucasfilm was, but they put out these Blueprint books, which is basically the archival blueprints of stuff that was manufactured, constructed, engineered, large things, obviously, for the Star Wars films. And you have, like, the Cantina blueprints, Hoth blueprints, certain vehicle blueprints. And this book, which I think might be one of these first books that I said that I haven't really gone through thoroughly and I haven't really read them yet. This book is about 15 inches high by 13 inches wide and it's about an inch thick so it's your typical textbook thickness but from what i remember this book was the small version of this i think there was actually a larger version which was probably maybe twice as big as this one twice as high twice as wide that was way way more expensive and i wasn't going to buy this one was was a little cheaper and it was like the economy version because everything was kind of shrunk a little bit but there is apparently a larger version of that. And yes, I do remember that was like, talk about the size of a table. That was a, 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 that thing had a lot of real estate, a lot of real estate. It really gave the, the coffee table size theme uh, its its worth. You know, it kind of brings you back to that old Seinfeld episode. There's actually a series of episodes where Kramer is, is uh, pitching a book company, a coffee table book. That's all about coffee tables, famous people's coffee tables. And then in the later on episode, he delivers the book, you know, he's promoting the book and the coffee table size book that he has turns into a coffee table with little legs and everything that you could actually use it as a coffee table. It was a silly gag that kind of went on a couple of episodes, but that's kind of what kind of brought me back into thinking about how these are all are related and, and because of their unusual size, how they are treated differently. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this. I don't know if, if other people do this too, that they kind of stay away from these larger books. But yeah, that, that one was a big one, I remember. 
But yeah, yeah, the uh, the 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 more expensive one, I believe, cost about five hundred dollars, and it was limited. I think maybe to five hundred or something like that. Some some smaller capacity, because obviously not everybody's going to spend that kind of money on a book. This was the you could kind of call it the golden age of Lucasfilm print. Uh, this is when J.W. Rinsler was involved. He's the editor of this particular book also. There's a whole bunch of books that were put out that are not necessarily making up books under his name. But yeah, the, the, I remember I saw it at a convention and I was like, oh my God, this thing is huge. But I was very happy when they put out a, a more affordable, under $100 version of it because... Wow. And sometimes what they'll do is when when you have these special versions of a book, sometimes they're all they might be international. They might be like only in Japan, for example. They'll have a different kind and then by the time they arrive in the US, uh, it's it's slightly different and a little more affordable, of course. Up next, we have The Art of Ralph McQuarrie books. All right. This one is one of the first monsters I would say, in terms of when you receive this in the mail, how huge the packaging is. And this is a book that comes in two volumes inside a slipcase. And the books are about 13 by 15, 13 long, 15 high. But there's two of them that when you stack them together in the slipcase, they're about three and a half inches thick. That's how much material you have. And the way that these books are broken down is they take... Star Wars and half of Empire, more or less, and then half of Empire and all of Jedi. That's how they break the two volumes. The slipcase is beautiful. I don't know what the product, it's like some kind of cloth covering on it with a big, big Macquarie portrait on the uh, on the face of it, the R2-C3PO portrait uh, from, from New Hope. This is a company that it's still around that, that had been putting out while McCreary was still alive. And up to now, they were putting out products, a lot of it having to do with him, obviously. And they had very big coffee table-sized books of Ralph McQuarrie. And I believe they might have had another version of this, too, if I remember right, that covered his other non-Star Wars artwork. The one that I ended up getting, and I believe I got it as a gift, I believe a friend of mine gave it to me as a gift, is just the Star Wars portion of Macquarie's career. And once again, this is one of those books that they're so huge that you just don't have the time to work it into my rotation of books. And it is the kind of book that has to be read on a table because it is so large. It is just a fantastic book. Through the process of, of what I've done lately, which is the looking at all these books that I'm talking about today, I was able to thumb through the entire volume one and two. And it is just amazing because not only do you get to see his, his final paintings, you know, the portraits, but you also see the concept work that led to those portraits, all the sketch work of just you know, brainstorming things together with sometimes other artists that are collaborating with him as, as the movies, you know, move from one to the other to the other. There's tons of stuff that's ancillary stuff, Christmas cards, logos, posters, concepts, you name it. Matte work, matte paintings. He did a lot of matte paintings on Empire Strikes Back. You you know, you, you get the feeling, and this is from reading many different materials having to do with McQuarrie, that he was so beloved, uh, especially by Lucas, that Lucas seemed to just want to keep him around no matter what and have him do something just to be able to stay with them, to contribute in one shape or another. And you, you see it in the work. It's like, wow, that is so cool how, how all his work kept coming in, even after the movies are finished, you know, while they're waiting for the next movie to come along. In between, he's being given these assignments that are Star Wars related. But it's just simply amazing. And this is one of those books. The book is full, full, full of 
tiny little paragraphs of quotes from Macquarie explaining his work. And, and there's so many things you find out. There's so much stuff in this book having to do with how scattershot <laughs> that Lucas was about the story itself, where he basically gets together with an artist like Macquarie and says, like, I have an idea about a character that maybe travels somewhere and does something maybe fights with some gargoyle or so, you know, a very rough, very broad idea and how Macquarie then starts to explore that idea and suggests and makes drawings and concept sketches for this idea and how far along they get, you know, with certain set pieces that eventually get discarded in the process of coming up with, for example, The Empire Strikes Back or even Return of the Jedi. But with The Empire Strikes Back, there was so much stuff like that where it was almost like he was looking for inspiration from Macquarie in order to help guide his story. Because when you look at Lucas, his writing process for the movies, especially the original trilogy, the story seemed to want to go in so many directions and the fact that we got to where we got to, it's just simply amazing of how hard it was to kind of get there because of the fact that he was, and again, he was primarily getting a lot of input from Macquarie and then some other artists, Joe Johnston and Nilo Rodas Gemero. And plus he's also got some storyboard artists and, yeah, and even Macquarie threw on some storyboards himself. So there is a lot of art coming in his direction. The question is, you know, where does it end up? And this book is top to bottom. You can, I don't think it's possible to get any deeper into Macquarie land than it is through these two books. They're so perfect. And again, I just wish I had the time. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to just say, all right, starting tomorrow, Every fourth book I read is going to have to be one of these monsters because they are huge and they're just a wealth, a wealth of information. Next up, let's talk about the Chronicle books. Now, by the Chronicle books, I'm talking about two books that were put out apart from each other. The first one is all about the original trilogy. It's about 15 inches tall, about 10 and a half inches wide, and about, about an inch thick, you know, the textbook size thickness. but it is a big book that, just like these other books we've been talking, it's the type of book that if it falls on you, it will hurt you. <laughs> this is an unusual book, because first off, I had never heard of this book before. And I forget exactly how I found out about it. Maybe it was a picture in Facebook that somebody was, was, was displaying, oh, I just got this book, it's wonderful, fantastic, whatever. But when I did any of my usual searches... For, for, okay, well, you know, go to Amazon, go to, go to eBay, go here, go there. They were kind of hard to find. It was like, well, wait a minute. Well, this isn't part of the normal, you know, roster of, of Lucasfilm announced books that, you know, for example, that Rinsler would be putting out. And then I found out that, no, this is a book that I think was put out in, in Europe, maybe in England. And it's like, oh, wow. And then I found that somebody was using the book as a way of, getting autographs. So in other words, when this person would go to a convention, he would schlep this book around, which it's a big book to put on your backpack. But it was a way of him getting as many Star Wars autographs as possible from either actors or behind the scenes people by having them just autograph his book. You know, you go to the proper page. And it's funny because that's something that I did back when, oh my God, uh, Star Wars 10th Anniversary Convention... I was carrying around my special effects book, my ILM special effects big book. That, that Talk about another one of these coffee table size books. But yeah, I was carrying around that book and I was getting autographs from the special effects guys there and I would find their page and have them autograph their page. But anyway, that's what I find out they were doing with this book. Uh, now, once I was able to figure out what book this was and the fact that it wasn't easily obtainable here... I think I finally got one through eBay. I think eBay finally got me one. They're very expensive because they're kind of rare. And the one that I purchased, I remember these books, when you when you were to buy them new, they come inside a slipcase. Well, the one that I bought was a little more reasonably priced because of the fact that it was missing the slipcase. 
which is fine by me. I care about the book. I don't care too much about the display of the book. And I got that one. Later on, I was able to get what could be considered the sequel to this book, which is the prequel trilogy version of this book. Again, it's a book with all this stuff. But this time around, I believe it was manufactured in the U.S. And it might have been a little more accessible to U.S. buyers. The second book, I believe, is from Sansweet and Pablo Hidalgo. The original book is not. It's from Deborah Fine. But what I found out was that the original book was also based on a Japanese version of this book. So there's a trail of how this book came about. And I'm telling you, what makes this book different, and and it's funny because whenever you see these books, it's like, well, what are we dealing with here? Is this a photo book? Is this a a fact book? You know, uh, a time chronology book? What are we dealing with? This book is completely full of pictures and facts. You're not necessarily getting the making of format, but you're getting as much of an overall snapshot of the characters and the ships and the locations, you know, that sort of thing. And you get this excellent photography that mixes both production stills, behind the scenes stills, publicity stills, you name it, detailed concept model stills with final, you know, renderings in terms of what you actually saw on the film. And it just combines them all and to give you a nice, concise selection. So if you were to do some research on, like, for example, a TIE fighter, you can go find that section on TIE fighters and and it will give you as much reference as possible all about that TIE Fighters in a concise way. In other words, it doesn't go insanely, you know, seven pages on TIE Fighters, but it is very good at, at displaying that. And the best thing about it is all compact into one book. You have the entire first trilogy into one book. From what I understand, the Japanese version, the original one, might have a few more things, which doesn't surprise me because a lot of times that's that's one of the things we find out is that the more upscale versions they usually have a little bit more to make it a little more special plus it is very difficult to find i, I did find a, a youtube video of somebody who had finally was able to locate one of these japanese versions of this book where you know it cost quite a few dollars <laughs> and but like i said but in my case i went for the uh, open used one without the uh, slip case and i was able to get one it's a great book. If you're into model making, if you're into any form of research of Star Wars material, these books, I mean, the, the especially these guys that I just, I'm just talking about right now, they're a great resource of reference, of pictures, of comparisons. It's funny because you see, like, for example, like Han Solo, and then you see him in the movie, then you see him at some photo shoot, and then you see him in another, and you see even, like, how his haircut changes from photo to photo, and you can tell, well, wait a minute, this wasn't during the movie, this was done maybe uh, six months later, you know, at a photo shoot, and that's why his hair looks different, and wait, he's not wearing the same pants, he's wearing slightly different pants, and, you know, you get all kinds of little tidbits like that where it's just fantastic, the amount of work. When you're done uh, going through just the picture collage and and the little descriptions of of, of the main elements of the film, there is a section that includes some kind of making of chronology. It's, It's smaller, but at least it gives you some of what's going on. Each movie has its own little section on deleted scenes. Again, fantastic. And here's one of the things that I admire the most, especially about the first one, is that these books were put out before the special editions. So, in the copy that I have, they mention that they're working on the special editions or that there will be a special edition coming soon, but they don't incorporate any of the pictures from the special edition, which I'm glad because it is nice to see a very thorough product that doesn't jam in the special edition, even though I know that that's how the movie wants to be treated not only by Lucas, but I assume by Disney now, so that everybody refers to this movie, this trilogy, from the perspective of the special editions. To me, I always wish they would stick to the originals because the originals are what really 
triggered the popularity, the historical popularity, you know. People fell in love with the movies the way they were, not the way they are. I'm not saying you should deny one or the other, specifically the older version. I would say that's fine if you're going to make a book about it, make a book about it, but then deal with the special edition as a future separate thing that you can talk about separate from the original stuff because you can't really mix certain special effects techniques that did not in, exist back then in the same book, in the same page, in the same paragraph, you know, talking about it. If you're writing a paragraph about the trench battle, you know, in the Death Star, you can't say, well, you know, for this shot, we use CGI and we were able to blah, blah. No, but wait a minute. That was the special edition. You didn't have CGI back then. Let's talk about how it was done originally. Later, we can talk about the special editions. Now, granted, when you switch to the next book, then it's a whole other world because the, by the time you get to the next book, you're dealing with the prequel trilogies where that's when digital technology started to kind of go haywire, you know, from 35 millimeter film all the way through digital. We saw that transition happen before our eyes. Again, another great book. If you have the chance, locate one, even if it's in rough shape, buy it. Because again, if you're into model making, if you're into any sort of research, even stuff like I'm doing now for, you know, for, for all these different podcast shows, especially having to do with Star Wars, every now and then it's like, I need a picture of blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. So I start digging through all these books and there it is. I can find the information. And then there's some kind of blurb that even tells me a little bit about it. Perfect. 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 Now, the last of the Star Wars books that I'm going to talk about are two books that came out a little bit ago, and they're from a company called Tashin. Now, if you're not familiar with this company, and I've never really heard of it until I started looking at into these books, uh, they do a lot of, I would say, maybe pop culture or artsy or musical or, again, it's a very artsy crowd, uh, where they produce these super thick, massive books, talk about coffee table size books, that go deep, crazy deep into this sort of thing. And what they did is they put out two books, one about the original trilogy, sounds familiar, and one about the prequel trilogy. They are both by Paul Duncan, and from a couple of interviews that I've listened to, it sounds as if the plan was to put this out as one book. And as he started working on this book, he realized it was going to be way too big. So he got permission to cut it in half and deal with the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. He did about, I don't know, maybe four, five, six days of interviews with Lucas. So he was able to get a lot of straight, you know, from the horse's mouth type of information. A lot of it comes from previous materials. And this is also a book that doesn't follow exactly the same format as the Rinsler books did. This book is also post-Rinsler. So you got to remember also that up to a certain point, Rinsler was the, the guy, the go-to guy for anything Star Wars, especially the high-end book part of Star Wars. And after there was that falling out, between him and Lucasfilm, but it might have been him and Disney. I'm not entirely sure. We will never probably know that. You guys probably already heard my story before. He put out a blog about the behind the scenes of the making, I think, of the last Star Wars film, the Revenge of the Sith, and how things were kind of dicey in terms of Again, the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And also around that time, I think he also was working on the making of The Force Awakens. And because all of that happened around the time where Lucas decided to sell the company, that book got first put on hold and I think eventually canceled. And we theorized a lot about, well, why? Why would they not want to put out this book out now? And... Also, if you think about it, you know, yes, he, he did write the, the first three making of the original trilogy books. And granted, I always say this, you get to hear in those books the Lucasfilm version of the story. Lucasfilm is the first person, you know, Lucas, his, his employees and that kind of thing. And yes, you are getting a, a somewhat sanitized version. And there's probably about a dozen or more 
other versions of the story from other people's perspectives that probably don't paint Lucas or Lucasfilm in a very positive light based on their interactions. This is what happens everywhere you go in, in your interactions with people. There's always going to be two sides of the story to most conflicts, let's say. But you have to respect this because this Lucasfilm book was, up to that point, one of the most thoroughly put together publications from their point of view. So you could disagree with some of the things that happen or in the sequence of events, but the amount of archival material that exists that they're able to use and show you is just fantastic. It's just that, you know, the other side of the story doesn't have those kind of resources usually. So it's a little more difficult to, to you know, to get that. Anyway, my point here is that Rinsler was the go-to guy. He was putting out all these books, making of books. He was putting out all these other top-notch books, like the Blueprints book, and this book, and that book. And I believe there was a book called Frames, which was another one of these insanely expensive, huge, large-size books. I never got that one. Because that was basically a collection of still frames from the films where you can look at them in a page, I think, without having to split the page into two. And it gave you a very large portrait of a still image from the movies. Yeah, I remember that one. That was a big one and that was very expensive and I never got into that because it was like, you know what, I got to draw the line somewhere and, and just the price alone pro prohibits me, you know, from going in that direction. So when everything kind of ended, you know, with the selling of the movie, it looked as if there was going to be a somewhat of a blackout or a cooling off period in terms of such in-depth publications. And there kind of was. Now, granted, some books might have already been on the pipeline that they were able to finish, but some books were completely <laughs> put a stop to them, like the making of Force Awakens, which at the time, if you think about it, one of the things that you have to understand is that sometimes you need a little time. You need a little time for heads to cool, for the history to be agreed upon or rewritten. And that had happened already with the original trilogy. Enough time had passed that I guess they felt comfortable putting together these books. For the prequel trilogy, there were some very smaller versions of those books. Soft, I think some of them were soft cover books chronicling the making of the film, but not in the insane detail that those Rinsler books had for the original trilogy. And again, maybe because it was still kind of fresh still, they decided not to approach that. They decided not to go in that direction. I would have loved to seen uh, three more books, you know, on the making of the prequels. Why not? You know, do a definitive version of the making of the prequels. But that didn't happen. But they did plan all of a sudden to do Force Awakens. So that would have been possibly their first book of kind of getting back into that sort of thing. Now, the question is, was that planned under the Lucasfilm banner? while the negotiations were going on with Disney? Or was Disney fully aware and in agreement that they wanted to put out this book? So that's kind of where it gets hazy. Who knows? We don't know and we might never know. You know, how much of an agreement was there to put this book together before somebody pulled the plug on it? You almost get the impression that once Disney had the reins of Star Wars, that's when they said, all right, stop it all right here. The other thing is that if you guys remember... With the making of The Force Awakens, there was also a lot of delays. Uh, Harrison Ford broke his leg, so they had to stop filming at one point. And you figure, well, maybe they just don't want to talk about certain things. It's too early to talk about certain things. J.J. Abrams not really wanting to direct initially, and then directing, and then asking for more time. And, you know, again, the sausage-making part of the production, maybe it was too early to get into the arguments and the disagreements of the making of and the problems and the frustrations between the actors or the producers or the makers or the handoff between Lucas and Disney, where Lucas gave some interviews sounding not too happy about the way that he felt, I think, he was treated after the sale of the company. And 
you know, how they kind of ignored all of his suggestions and ideas and they went in a completely different direction. So there was starting to be a little bit of bad blood, I think. And it's possible that they did not want to chronicle that. They didn't want to go over, well, then Lucas said this and then Disney said that. So that could be the reason why all that kind of the brakes were put on it. And like I said, I, I don't remember there being too many books put out of that magnitude up until a few years ago. And these books, these Tatchin books, as far as I'm concerned, are the first of that kind. The first of the big, gigantic monster coffee table size books that kind of run with the rest of these other books that I talked about earlier. So these books are about 17 inches wide by 12 inches tall. And they're each about two inches thick. So if you think about it, the amount of information that's here, if you were to put both of them together, this would be the biggest, most massive book ever. You're talking about a book that would be about four inches thick. You know, talk about a dictionary size. It's a monster. I'm glad they broke it in two. The Tashin book came out in 2020. So it's only two years old, the first one. And I remember when it came out, it was over $100. I think it was close to $150 or maybe $200. And I was like, nope, sorry, can't do it. Too expensive. And I didn't buy it. But they did put out a an abbreviated version of this book that came in a small, <laughs> tiny little version. It was still pretty thick, but it was about, I don't know, eight inches wide by nine inches tall. So it was a very odd little shape for the book. And I ended up ordering it. I ended up ordering it and it sat on my shelf. Actually, it sat on the floor in the corner of my room there for a while. And then I believe, if I remember right, a friend of mine told me that Tashin was having a sale where sometimes they do these sales where they get rid of stock and uh, everything is like 50% off or sometimes 70%, you know, like crazy, crazy price difference. So that's when I said, all right, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to buy the actual original big one, which I think it might have been either a hundred bucks or a little under a hundred bucks. So it was, it was more or less 50% off. And again, this became one of these books that sat there for a while and it just sat there and, and I'm like, yes, I got to read it. And it's going to, and it sat there and it sat there. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks ago, they had another sale. And this time around, the 2021 version, which is the prequel version, the old red cover. The, the original was all a black cover, and the other was a red cover. Same deal. I was able to pick up the original prequel version of the book for under 100 bucks. So now I have them both. I finally sat down, went through them. Oh, my God, they're just amazing. They're just incredibly amazing books. It's the type of book that if you don't even own any of the other books I talked about, Having one of these books is almost enough because by making these pages so large, they have, you know, they were able to print a lot of these McQuarrie designs, a lot of these stills, a lot of these behind the scenes photos, diagrams, blueprint, you name it in such a large format. And the way that the book is structured is somewhat different than the making of book because the making of books are very chronologically oriented and they go through the process here they kind of do work in a chronological order but they don't go on a day by day week by week you know uh, studio reports of what got done or didn't get done manner they kind of go here by interviewing people and one of the main things that they did, especially on the first one, is interview Lucas as much as possible to have him chime in on things. Now, again, Lucas has said just about everything that needs to be said, but they tried to kind of get a different angle on it. So you have these gigantic photos with these little blurbs from Lucas trying to, you know, Q&A. You see actual question and answer sections from the author of the book, you know, sitting down with Lucas. And on the second book, you get a similar thing, but apparently by the time he got to the second book, he was able to open it up a little further some, to some other, that can, you know, to include other contributors, you know, from all over the production. So that is something that's also very good. Depending on which book you're, you're, you're looking at, 
And depending on how deep you go into them, and again, I haven't really read these books altogether. I just kind of thumbed through them. And I'm like, I can't wait to start these books. But the one of the things that struck out to me uh, the most is on the prequel book, as compared to the original trilogy book, how much Lucas relied on so many conceptual artists that I have never realized that he did. I mean, I had a pretty good idea, but when you compare to the original trilogy and you have the big guys, uh, you have the Nilo, Rodas Gemero, and you have Joe Johnston, and you have Colin Cantwell with those models he was putting together. You have Ralph McQuarrie putting everything into the proper place. You know, you had your main people there. But when you got to the prequels, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know Ian Chang was, was the lead guy, but there were so many people under him that it was just a, a, a nonstop cavalcade of artists and the different style of art that was being used, a lot of computer-related art. So it's a completely different world. And again, these artists were able to explore and come up with so much material uh, that, I mean, there's enough material for like 10 movies that was being done. And I guess when the when the boss, when the director is paying the bills, he can say, yeah, do it or don't do it. You know, he's the one who can actually stop or, or say go or stop uh, and spend so much time and money to the conceptual side. Aside from that, these two books are gigantic in terms of reference. Again, for any type of project, like I was saying before with the other books, yeah, you want pictures of something? You can open up three or four of these books and they're there for you. They're just sitting there and you have all the research work you can do. You can get a lot of this research on the internet, but if you like the old style, if you will, old school research of opening books, going to a library and just thumbing through these books and finding the right thing, it's all in here. It's all in here and it, it is just simply fantastic. So that gets us to all of these new, new and old Star Wars books, these coffee table sized monsters, gigantic, call 911 if a book falls on you size books. But I'm going to give you two bonus books because I like giving you guys, you know, the bonus round at the end of these things. And these are books that are not Star Wars for a change. These are a couple of books I happen to own that kind of fall under this category. One of them is a James Cameron book that recently came out called Technor. And it's about his artwork in all of his movies and even before he was making movies and his current movies. It's about all the artwork that he used to do because he was a pretty big artist in terms of the type of material that he would do for the films that he worked on. And I am very, very interested in, in finally getting to this book. This was a new one. This one just came out, especially about his Terminator work and his Aliens work. Now, granted, a lot of the Aliens work, you can kind of see it in, in a lot of the supplemental material. But the Terminator is a movie that I think it's under-chronicled, under-reported. There wasn't a lot of preservation, I think, of the making of that film. Because it was a small film and nobody really thought it would be that big. But I can't wait to start reading it. This is a big one. It's a little over an inch thick. And it's about 10 inches wide by 13 inches tall. It is not one of the biggest ones of all these. But it is, uh, it is in, the, uh, in the chronicle territory. It is nowhere near the Star Wars archives we just talked about. Those archival gigantic monsters. No. But it does fall, uh, you know... Price-wise also falls under that other category of, okay, these are large, serious books that, because it deals a lot with art, you are going to get full-page spreads of his original art, which I can't wait. I can't wait to start that one, too. My other one is one that I had forgotten that I had gotten, and it is a Tashin book. <laughs> it is not as gigantic as the uh, Star Wars archives. It is about 13 wide by 12. It's a little more reminiscent of the Macquarie volumes in terms of the layout. It's a little over an inch thick, a little thicker than the, the Cameron book. And it is the Stanley Kubrick archives. So it is a format. It is a certain format that this company uses when they are trying to document a specific artist or, or franchise or whatever. So it does use that same format of 
of showing you pictures and then reading about what's going on. And yes, in this particular one, half the book or, or a big chunk of the book is just stills from all of his movies, big giant stills or collages of, of scenes from the movies. And then you get to a section where it's kind of like making of and interviews and people that were able to get direct interviews or archival interviews, obviously with, with Kubrick and that sort of thing. You know, that would be all archival. And they do follow, uh, follow a similar format. So there is an artist that you really want to take a deep dive. And especially when you're dealing with, a, with something that's finite. For example, Star Wars, yes, they broke it down into original trilogy, prequel trilogy. Okay, good. That's a finite subject. Kubrick... The man passed away many years ago, so his production, you know, his films, there is a finite number of them that they can spread them out in this format, and that's what they did on this one. So I cannot wait to read that one, too. So I think when it's all said and done, that's going to be my New Year's resolution, I guess, is that I am going to start reading these books thoroughly. I might end up reviewing them in more detail like I do every now and then with some books that really, you know, make an impression on me. But for now, I just wanted you guys to be aware that these things exist. They're pricey. Sometimes they're they're not as pricey. Sometimes they're, they get kind of old and people don't care about them and they, they get 50% or even more, 75% off. So you might be able to get some good deals. And also, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes if you don't have a book that comes in a slip cover, you might be able to save even more money. I, I was also able to buy, I forget where it was, I bought some Star Wars, I think the costumes of Star Wars or something like that, I forget the name of the book, or or the models of Star Wars or something like that, where it was a display copy, and the uh, the cover, the hard the hardback cover had a, a slight gash in it. So the, the thing was like discounted tremendously because it was, a dam- it was considered to be a damaged item. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. I, I, I'd rather... I pay 25% of what it's worth. If it has a little damage in the cover, that's no big deal for me. I'll, I can I can still use it, and I still do. So the only thing missing here, I think, from these type of coffee table size books is, like I mentioned before, I do not own a coffee table size book that actually is a coffee table like they did in Seinfeld. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We went the book route this time, specifically Star Wars and a couple of bonuses. But the thing that makes this different from other books is that we're not directly reviewing the individual books themselves, but I'm just kind of making everybody aware of all these very large, large, large coffee table books that are out there that are somewhat expensive but because some of them are kind of old sometimes you might be able to find a really good deal on them and some of them are going to be 10 times more expensive than they were the first time they put them out so it depends on the book and that these are the books that i'm going to focus on pretty soon of starting to read because they are the ones i've been kind of avoiding because they're enormous size just by taking a quick glance at them recently in order to put this show together I was able to see what an amazing amount of information these books have and how carefully they were put together. Uh, They just make an excellent, excellent addition to anybody that collects any sort of Star Wars books, specifically making of behind the scenes, you know, reference, uh, archival material, that kind of stuff. These books have it. And uh, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend them to anybody who is looking for that sort of thing. So... I hope you guys enjoy today's show. I will continue to be buying these type of books, telling you guys about it. So on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Hi, I'm Jim Cameron, and I'm here in New Zealand doing post-production on Avatar 2. I just want to take a moment to talk about my new book, Tech Noir, The Art of James Cameron. You know, I've been drawing and painting my whole life, and this book represents my six-decade artistic journey from the third grade until now. Most of these drawings were just shoved away in boxes and drawers for years, and I never dreamed there was enough for a book. But seeing it all collected together and organized, I was surprised that it actually shows a very clear, creative, and thematic through line. 
All the precursors for my movies are there. From the Terminator through Aliens, T2 and Titanic to the Avatar films. And the book also includes my own concept art, storyboards and detailed designs for those movies. Growing up in small town Canada, I drew constantly. I was inspired by the comics and science fiction books and movies that I consumed voraciously. And I was always more of an illustrator at heart than a fine artist. I used my drawings and paintings to tell stories. And all of that was perfect training for shifting to the art of cinema in my late 20s. The title of the book, Tech Noir, is taken from the name of the dance club in the movie The Terminator. And in this book, you'll see how the ideas and the themes and even some very specific images from my art wound up in the most iconic scenes in my movies. The book also features never-before-seen imagery from some unrealized film projects of mine, along with theatrical posters that I painted for grade Z movies just to help pay the rent when I was trying to land my first directing gig. Technoir is somewhat of an autobiography told through art. In it, I share a lot of stories about my life and my creative process. It's a psychological journey of sorts, and it's a study of the power of dreams. Not only dreams of success and, and what it takes to get there, but the actual dreams of the subconscious that unfold for me every night, like my own private streaming service. Hopefully this book can inspire others, wherever they are, whatever their circumstances, to put their imaginations in gear and create something new. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geek Rants is produced by Carlos Perón, copyright 2022. <laughs>